Hello, and welcome to The Valid Vulture. My name is Emmy, and I'm your host, and a multi-passionate, multidisciplinary storyteller. I'm a death doula, and an all-around too-much person. If I could distill down into a core three about what I'm all about here on the internet and IRL, it's storytelling for self-expression, liberation, alternative wellness for the misfits and morbidly inclined among us, and honoring our shadows. To go a little bit deeper, we do discuss mortality, artists, archetypes, spirituality, unpacking what horror can teach us about the human experience, integrating our shadows, and one of my favorite topics, changing your damn mind. What can I say? I love our multitudes and discussing them here on the podcast. A few announcements here before we dive into the nitty gritty. Want to keep the conversation going? You can keep up with me on Instagram, my website, or you can get added to my newsletter, The Inner Circle. I hope to keep seeing you on the internet. All those links can be found in the show notes. On today's episode, we have as part of our Gritty Growth series, someone that I have known for some time now. And if there's anyone that I think as beautifully embodying Gritty Growth, perseverance, making things work, changing your damn mind and owning the journey, it's today's guest. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today, as part of our ongoing Gritty Growth series, I've got a super special guest who went from having one business to evolving and adapting them into separate but interrelated entities. Think Marvel Cinematic Universe, but more attitude, decolonizing, cafecito, and culture. She's an artist, writer, musician, coffee mastermind, business whiz, basically a badass, prolific creator. Obviously, I'm obsessed, and I've been a huge fan for some time. Esperanza, thank you so much for coming onto the show. No, thank you. I'm super excited. There's a term that's come up around the kind of work that I feel like both of us are drawn to doing. We, If people asked us to only do one thing, we would laugh in their faces. I Like, how dare you make me choose? <laughs> You're not in charge of me. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, two great words that have been used to describe um, folks that take on a lot of interest or kind of blend a lot of businesses together, are like multi-passionate or multi-hyphenates. And even though I heard about that through a lot of other people I've worked with lately, I feel like that really embodies you really well very drawn to in your work is that it's it's both very you but also not all about you like I feel like you're also very mindful about not just having it be all Esperanza I feel like it also exists separate from you so could you talk a bit about how you approach the art portion of your business yeah I mean like I think with all my businesses like I'm cognizant of like what I share about myself like for a few reasons like the big one being like I, as I'm doing a business that's about myself, kind of, um, not really <laughs> words, um, but as I do business, I'm thinking about what is my mental health in the long term because you see this time and time again um, with content creators, um, influencers, and just people in general, not like, you know, involving their entire life in front of thousands of strangers. And although that can be a beautiful thing, it's also a very scary thing. And so for me, like there is a part where I'm thinking of personal safety, but also the second, and I would say even more important um, point is the fact that my identity is a part of me and my identity relates to a bigger community and thinking about how my existence is impacting that community. Um, and so I think about what 
what are the roles that I hold because of who I am? And so oftentimes I'm thinking about like, okay, what does, what will this look like to this person? What will this look like to this, this other like entity or whatever it may be? Um, and so it all ends up kind of tying into like what is safe for everybody, not just myself, but everyone involved. Yeah, I really appreciate that and the sense of responsibility, like accountability to your community. As far as kind of creating like a safe space, what does that look like for you compared to spaces that you've been in where you've kind of looked around after a while and you realize like, this is just not for me? Um, I think I've navigated so many situations and environments, whether it be work-related or not, that just has always had something where I am no longer a benefit the moment that I cannot give you what you want. And that can go into like a whole discussion on how we are seen as just producers or laborers and product makers, regardless of what like position you are in. And so for me, it's thinking about like, how can we reduce that harm? Like that is always a priority to me. And oftentimes wherever I end up going, it's not necessarily about that. And it ends up being a very individualistic commu- like community. It's like a group of people that are just out there for themselves and not really thinking about how their individual actions can impact the group as a whole. And that's not even relating to as particular culture or race or any of that stuff. It's just a group of people and thinking about how we view community and how we view um, safety, like community safety and individual safety. And oftentimes there's an intersection between those two things that people don't necessarily focus on. And so my focus is on that particular area of saying, of thinking about like, okay, how can we integrate a practice within business that can integrate both of the, both those things? Because at the end of the day, we still, most of us, as in everybody still needs money to survive. And there are things that we have to partake in that we don't necessarily want to partake in. And I think my goal is like, how do we shift a narrative into, and in, in, in specific into like business practices and this includes my artwork too, um, and the subject of like a, of my new series coming out, of how can we start dismantling these these systems within us uh, when within a smaller like small a smaller community or business or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it that reminds me of a term that I am a really big fan of that I've become, I've begun to internalize a bit more for myself is I feel like we try to say like anti-capitalist, that must be the opposite of like being a capitalist. And that's true, but it kind of removes it. It, it ends up being a hindrance to reality like that. We still have to navigate within it for the time being that you can have anti-capitalist values, but you still have to operate within the system. So how can we make choices as best we can to offset it, negate it, or possibly just not have it exist within the confines of what we're creating? And that is capitalism critical. It's that you're holding it in your mind that like, we don't want to be about this, but also I need food. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> I'm I, I I hate it too. Like I hate it, you hate it, neither of us are having a good time. Um, but I feel like that's something we've kind of both fallen in alignment on with our work is the sense of we know that we want to make things accessible, but also we still have to make choices as business people to survive, as creators to survive. Um you know, exposure doesn't pay to rent. Right. <laughs> it never does. I wish it did. Like, if not, like, here, take everything in my studio. Right. 
Right, right. The amount of times I've been in art shows that I'm like, wow, I feel like I am getting exposure, but boy, if I could get like $5 every time you posted my art to Instagram, that would be really great. <laughs> if you even ask, that's the thing. Half the time you're not even asked. I mean, like, let me get in my old lady rant for a second, because the amount of times I've gone to art shows and people have asked me for free things. And I'm like, you can have my business card. Like, that's a pretty business card too, but like, I just, it is the audacity. I'm just like, I'm sorry, but like, just because you do not value my labor as labor and you think I'm doing this because I'm some sort of rich lady out out, out here that just does this for fun. I don't know who you are, but please leave. Um, and one of those things, this puts me into like another point, like kind of referencing what we talked about previously is like, I've been thinking about how Mexicans in the Latina community are perceived within different spaces. And one thing I've noticed within the vendor market, regardless of whether I go to Wicker Park or Pilsen or Little Village, I will always be perceived as either being way too expensive, even though I'm charging the exact same amount that I like, I viciously calculate like how much I'm charging and being cognizant of like, okay, like, I know this particular community is not going to pay this price, but this, this community can afford this price, but it's a matter of like how they will perceive me when they see me. And so oftentimes I get stuck in this loop of like, why do people think that Mexican labor is cheap labor? And so then it goes back to like history and like what's going on now, like with immigration and like, what are the roles that we hold because of our circumstances and me not being in that role? What do I mean within the context of that as an artist, what, where most artists who make money are in those expensive markets there, you know, in galleries and museums and all these, these things. It's like, what makes me different than an artist that has, you know, I guess like their foot in the door or just has like different prices than I do, like who can do similar art than I do. So much of the gallery world is politic and just another capitalist game, a game unto itself. I feel like the movie Velvet Buzzsaw really tried to highlight this, but ended up just being it, it's not as great as I wish it was. I just love Jake Gyllenhaal doing doing the most. Um, what was actually really good at highlighting how toxic the gallery world can be was the latest Candyman movie because it does highlight like an artist of color, like a black artist coming forward and saying, I want to tell this story. And then white gallerists saying like, oh, don't you think like the South Side, like that's all like played out? as though someone <laughs> telling their experience as a black person in Chicago could be something that falls out of trend. Anger. You know, I actually had somebody say the same shit. Can I curse? <laughs> Wait, I, I, I mark this as explicit because every now and then I let one slip as though I'm like, I'm not a I'm not a PBS show. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I was like, I don't know if we're pretending to be Barney or something. I don't know. I was like, <laughs> let me, let me ask before I start like throwing a book. Cause I get really passionate. I get really angry. And I think I personally think to convey the emotion and to convey like the message, we need F-bombs more often. So, <laughs> um, yes. anyway. Yeah, I've had that happen to me like several times, unfortunately, like, and that's what kind of made me stop just trying to get into a gallery. And I was like, you know what, fuck it, like, I'm just gonna do my own, like, I'll have my own gallery, whether it's on a virtual platform or in a storefront, and you can, like, I'm sitting in it right now. It's like, okay, well, if people don't want to buy it, they're not gonna buy it. And that's fine. But I've had people tell me that the Mexican-American trope has been played out, the first generation Mexican-American. And I'm like, what does that even mean? That's like saying like, oh, it's played out 
<laughs> to be to be an immigrant. Like that was so last year. What wow. you're like you're culturally different. Don't you think that may be a little too much? <laughs> That's so funny how they say that, like, oh, that was so last year, as though like I went and I changed my identity to align with what was on trend. Like I was actually nothing before and then I became Mexican. So then I could sell more art. That's just how it works, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I, cho- like I, I mean, I would choose a life if they gave me the option, but like still it's, it's not something like I was just like, Hey, higher power. Can you just make me into, to one of those Brown people? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, can you just, uh, you know, add a little spice up in there. And like, I don't like, this is my life. What do you want me to do to just change it? Okay. I'll just pretend to be like in the gentrified parts of like the city of Chicago and that I'll pretend that I grew up there versus the South side. I I think that says so much too about how embedded cultural appropriation is within art, because if you can pick and choose what parts of a culture are relevant to the trends, to lifestyle, like whatever is happening at the time. If you're able to kind of like cherry pick like that, then when an artist of color does that, and then they continue to do that, then there's a point where it's wrong or like, oh, it's played out. And no, like you see that with like how Ariana Grande Oh. Uh, Randy went from being she went from being like what like what was she like mixed race black to like she's Asian now like <laughs> like I you see it you see it in so many ways like how the Kardashians took out like part of their butt implant and even how they like apply their makeup now is different so I mean and then you can also see it in like even like which plastic surgeries are trending right now there's a thing called fox eyes where literally it pulls up somebody's like I don't even like I don't know how it works I just know I've seen it before and I'm like that's weird like I mean like everything is weird when you like when we're talking about like changing our physicality to make ourselves seem like a particular person which right now like the ideal figure is Kim Kardashian but like who is she trying to look like? And that's when we start. And I think people often forget that like, it is deep like that. It always is like fundamentally everything that we do is political. Like our existence is political. And if you refuse to acknowledge that, that's when you get in that cycle of appropriation. You get in that cycle of like, Am I harming other people? Are you even considering it if you're harming other people? And I mean, that just becomes like a product of, uh, let me just get off my pedestal right now. You're good. I, <laughs> I, I, I think though that, you know, so you could speak to it. Um, the, the balance of kind of personal narrative and political in your work what do you think the distribution is or do you feel like it fluctuates depending on kind of where you are, like letting some, like some art series being about more of like the side of what you're exploring versus another, basically in your own words and not in the eyes of people who are like, you, you're, you're doing the most trying to be like Mexican right now. <laughs> Which is so weird because I think fundamentally all my work has like is Mexican and it's this Mexican art it was created by Mexican hands it was made by like it was made by me (laughs) um and I often get like so I have two polarities to my work and if you were to go on my website you would see two very strikingly different works usually what connects it all is like the color palette and that color palette like I didn't necessarily study like the history of anything it just so happened to be aligned with like the style and the way that I do it just so happened to be aligned with like Mexican surrealism and Mexican uh, muralism. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it's in my blood. What do you want me to do? I didn't like, sure. I went to arts, 
art school for like a few classes, but like I always got yelled at for using the, the colors that I wanted to use. Um, and that's why I quit because <laughs> I was like, I'm over it. I'm just going to do what I want. But going back to the point is that I think because people see Cyclopses or see like, you know, like just kind of like, how do I explain it? Like graphic art. Um, they immediately assume that it's just like, it's not no longer a part of my identity because it's not relating to the trauma of being Mexican or the pride that comes with Mexican or like the particular, like it's not directly tied to a particular thing of a life experience that suddenly it's no longer Mexican. And it's like, okay, well, can't I just dream about Cyclopses? Can't I just dream about like celestial beings? Like I can't just like imagine that because that's what I do. Like that's a part of my humanity. That's a part of like my life. That is a part of like just something that brings me joy. Like, so it's no longer Mexican because it simply exists to exist. And there is nothing more than it being something that I created because I wanted to just be happy. And I think people often forget that just because it's happy does not mean that it's not X, Y, or Z. It was still Mexican made. It was still woman made. It was still, you know, like in all my fullness, it was made by my hands. It was created by my imagination. I really, really like that in part because I'm hearing that a lot of your work is informed by your culture, not necessarily inspired by because you're not going and looking for it, but it's kind of coming through organically. I, I like hearing that it makes you happy and it brings you joy because I think so much of what people try to project onto artists that are Latina, that are black mixed race is that you must be in pain. And even though we might have pain by existing within the confines of white supremacy, we still have things that elevate us that stir our imagination that light us up. And even though that might be a part of the narrative, it's not going to overtake it because we are not just this one-sided like ball of rage all the time. It's there. <laughs> the anger is there. Like I am fueled by spite a lot, but right. it's not the only driving factor at a certain point because if you're only driven by rage, you will burn out very quickly. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I have to balance my work because like, I think when I first started, I was reading about, and I remember, and it was my young self as an artist, I was reading more about like Mexican artists because I was trying to see like, how do they become successful? Like, how do they like make it into like those, those galleries? How do they, and that was very well, like one of my goals back then is how do I get in those galleries? And I noticed that a lot of them talked about life experiences and I didn't think much of it because I just, I just didn't. (laughs) And that that's a part of life, right? Learning. Um, And I remember being like really uncomfortable with the idea of letting people in, um, which, you know, like that, that's a conversation saved between me and my therapist, but, (laughs) um, But like immediately, like I remember being like, oh, hell no, like I can't do that. Like people don't need to know about me. Like I don't want them in my life. I don't want them to like know my inner secrets, my inner demons or anything. And so I was like, you know what? Like I'm just going to keep repainting my face. And at the time I wouldn't have been able to describe what I can describe now, but it's like I was sharing my life experience. I was sharing the different gestures that I make throughout the day, the moments that I didn't feel like myself and by doing so finding myself. Um, And so I think after a while I was just getting 
I wasn't getting tired of my face, but <laughs> I was getting tired of people because this would often happen is like, okay, why do you paint yourself so much? And so whatever I was feeling that day, it's like, that's what you, that's, that's the story you're going to get. And noticing compared like my work, especially in places like, you know, um, like I did one in the West Loop um, a while back and I would get asked and people would look at me, um, palm people, let me. Understood. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, would look at me like I was a dog. And I was like, this is exhausting. I never want to do this shit again. Like, I do not want to bring my cultural work into these spaces. Like, no, like, absolutely not. The way that I was looked at, like the way people viewed me as pathetic, I'm like, no, I, I, I refuse to be sharing these stories that are not going to be honored in the way that I want them to be honored, especially in this environment. If you want to honor my work, you are coming to my place. Yeah, I think so much of the art world gets boiled down to consumption. Like they're taking this in, it's just about them. But it sounds like, one, you have really good boundaries <laughs> as an artist, as far as knowing what you do and don't want to share. And also knowing that there are ways for you to still be vulnerable without oversharing and risking feeling like I'm too raw at the end of it. It sounds therapeutic, but not in a way where it's now hard for you to talk about your work. It's always, it's always really difficult when something was like too real and then they're like, tell me about it. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is all you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I just think that it, it starts because I mean, like at the end of the day, we are about like entertainment and media. Like that's where we're placed as arts, art, artists and art people. It doesn't matter what your medium is. You can be a painter. You can be like a craft like you can make doilies or whatever you can make those sort of things it does come down to and I see it in like the marketing world that like the posts where I like you know kind of bleed a little bit and I do it at my like own decision I think about them a lot you know I have my process on like do I really want to post this but oftentimes those are the stories that get highlighted and it starts becoming a question of like why do we consume the things that we consume and like removing the art portion of it it, it starts, you know, going into like, I guess, like an ethical and moral conversation of whether it's because we're becoming more detached to like our humanity as a whole, or are we like, and, and then it puts into question who is the consumer as well? Like, who is this made for and who is consuming when you, you when you put it on the internet, that's for anybody to see. And you don't know who's going to who's going to be consuming that work. And so you will get different perspectives of people just be feeling empowered by your work. And then in other like places, it's more of like, like trauma porn. Yeah. They can feel better about having supported someone who's about the struggle. Like I supported this up and coming struggling artist and like I just feel so good knowing I gave back is like on one hand infuriating but on the other hand thank you for your money I'm like yeah give me that money like you don't need right. it I need it's, it's one of those like fuck you but thank you I guess <laughs> oh always and I mean like even like thinking about like the other business that I have that is more about marketing and talking about marketing and ethical marketing you know, it's like something that I put up very upfront. Like there will be times that you might have to just be like, bite, like bite the bullet and just be like, snatch that money and walk away because there's just, you need to live, you need to live. And I can only hope that the people who end up with my work aren't just, you know, don't end up throwing it away and they actually find meaning in it. 
yeah, you, you don't know kind of the long-term effects your work has in general, like in the lives of people. That's always something that I wonder about in terms of just the work that I create, because so much of what I try to do hinges on telling stories that we think that we shouldn't be talking about, or we feel averse to talking about because maybe it's not polite or it's a little bit uncomfortable. And I look in the face of that and say, I think there's a way we can get into this. And it requires a lot of good boundary setting, as you said, because you run the risk of the overshare of burning yourself out. A lot kind of comes up. And yeah, I often wonder about the long-term impact that my work has by kind of going in that direction. But you did say something like uh, about like kind of your marketing side of your business. I think that's a good opportunity to kind of get into the other big question we have, um, which is you did decide to take Bruhako and make it into many separate things. Could you talk a bit about the arc of that process? Yeah. So when I first started Bruhako, it wasn't Bruhako. The name was Esperanza Art Music. And that was it. I I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't have a name for it. And I was like, well, let me just pick something that is representative of all of it. And that literally like the idea of how the business started was just me being in a coffee shop and drawing and being like, why do I like to be here? And I was like, that's my career. That's what we're doing. We're going to do all those things. And around that time, I started expressing interest in wanting to do that and wanting to successfully be somebody who is an artist, who is a musician, who is, um, you know, a, a coffee person. And over time, it started just developing into something bigger and like bigger than just like me wanting to do those things, but having a bigger mission and goal that will impact not only the lives of like people locally, but also globally, um, which is insane to think about it. <laughs> but um, when I was first starting, everybody told me like, you can't do everything. Like you just can't, like it's impossible. And there were all people who were a stick in the mud. They didn't know like the internet apparently because the internet is such a beautiful place that allows you to do all those things that you want to do. Um, but I, I didn't have the coffee part like going at all. And this was eight years ago. And so what I did was that I just started making like coffee art and my art and just figuring it out. Um, it all started with like $50 and a will to make this happen and prove everyone wrong. Um, Taurus energy, hard-headed. <laughs> um, but I, I was like, we're just going to do it. And I just dived into it. I signed up for my first art market and none of my stuff was packaged or anything. I was just laid it on a table, no um, tablecloth, nothing, just a banner. Um, and so I did that and I ended up selling some work and, you know, made, made my last 50 bucks bucks back. And from there, it just kind of started growing little by little. And in the process, like it made sense when I was a vendor of being like this coffee person that also sells art, because on the table, it looks beautiful. And it, you know, like, I don't necessarily have to worry about the legalities of it, because it's already packaged, it's there. And so I, I was growing rapidly to the point that I was barely keeping up and I had to raise my prices on my artwork. Um, and so I did that to slow it down so I can keep up with everything. And over time, like, um, well, once the pandemic hit, because I was getting to like the peak where I was like, man, this is great. We're going to be like, oh, this in no time, you know, like I'm going to quit my job and all this stuff. Then the pandemic hit and like everything immediately shut down on my end on sales or any of that stuff. And I mean, honestly, like, were there things that I could have done during that time? Yes, but I was too depressed to do it because I don't know, there was a global pan Demi Lovato. Like, like I, what am I supposed to do? I want to sleep all day and like, 
you know, save my energy and conserve the little like sanity that I have left. Um, and so I ended up just shutting the whole thing down for a bit. Like, you know, I was just like pouring a, a couple of bucks into the, the, like my bank account to like, you know, keep the website going and stuff like that. And so I just focused on what do I want to do? Like, what direction do I want to take this? Do I want to keep funding? Because that was kind of exhausting. I was doing four to five shows every weekend and I, I don't think I can do that. And I don't think realistically I see myself doing that for another year. Um, and so it put into reflection, like what I was doing with my career. Do I want to work in the place that I'm working right now? Do these people even care about what I do and why I do it? And there were just a lot of feelings and, you know, just a, a forced sit down for, I think, everybody. But in my case, it was, it was specifically about like career and like, do I like the direction that I'm going in? And the answer was no, I don't. Um, and so then it became like, okay, so what are we going to do? And about a year later, um, or last year, actually, <laughs> um, I ended up figuring out that, or I remembered that one of the people I met at a vending event had a storefront. And I decided to hit her up to be like, okay, how much is this? You know, like if it's within my means, I'll do it. Um, I'm, I'm living at home. I'm, you know still working this job. Let's, let's figure out how can we keep that momentum going now or change that direction. And fortunately she said, yes, there, there is a spot and, um, it's X amount of money. And, you know, are you like, are you looking to move in? And it was like, I think the time was like April 28th or something like that. It was something that was like really close to like the start date. I was like, I'll move in today. I didn't look at the space. Now <laughs> I was very lucky about that because it was a beautiful space, but I didn't look at the space. I was like, you know, just, I'm just tired of looking at all the things in my room. I had like piles upon piles of just art supplies, like to the top in my room. And I could walk into my bed and then to my desk. And that's all I could do. And I was over it. I was like, okay, it's time. And I was like, I'll just, I'll start throwing things in my car. And that's what I did that day. I just started throwing things in my car. And then I took it over to the shop. She gave me the keys and I had a shop. And then I had a shop. <laughs> And that was also very terrifying because I went in out again, I went in without a plan again. Like, were there things like that made, helped make the decision for me? Yes. But as I had the shop, I started learning new things about actually having a storefront and in a location that's not central to where most of my clients were. So most of my work was done in Chicago in downtown, in, in Pilsen, in Humboldt Park, just like different neighborhoods that I was always found. And now I'm in a situation where I'm not in those neighborhoods. I'm nowhere near those neighborhoods. And there's no art scene over here. And so I started realizing like, oh crap, did I make a mistake? And this was last year. Um, about two, two or three months in to having me having the storefront, I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? Like, and I'm panicking at this point of like, my business model was set up a table and then call it a day. That doesn't work for a storefront. Like you cannot do that. Like, and especially when you go from a large city to a, a small town, completely different ballgame. And so I think I had to suffer through like a year before realizing <laughs> that, hey, what you've been doing before is not going to work out here and you need to change it up. And I started thinking about what is what are the questions that I'm getting asked? You know, when people come into my shop, what are the questions that I'm getting asked? Is this a coffee shop? Well, no, technically. And my answer would be something along the way. Not yet, technically, because blank, 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 right? And I was realizing that I didn't like giving that answer. 
I'm like, this should be a coffee shop. This is what the original intention was for it to become a coffee shop. And I started realizing that even within like as a marketer and looking at the um, analytics within my website, they were going down. So at first they were going up because there was a lot of face-to-face, like me going out and talking to people. Once I started creating an online presence, I started noticing that that is not functional in the Google search terms or like, you know, people just looking up artists, looking up coffee roasters. And so just purely looking at it, like from an analytical standpoint, I was like, I have to separate these things. They cannot exist. They cannot coexist in this way. So how do we separate that? And then thinking about in person, like it is confusing to walk into a gallery that sounds like a coffee shop and expecting to get your cup of coffee. And then you unfortunately have to go to that, that like the Duncan, like next door. And so I just, it, it was like very much in my face, like, Hey, this is not functional anymore. And at first I, this is getting really long. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no. <laughs> you're, you're the guest. I want you to be talking. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just very chatty. I'm like, I'm sorry, y'all, but it's, it's a process. Having a business is a huge process. And there's like always like the little um, lows and highs in business that I wish I could tell everybody about every single like win and loss that has ever happened. But, you know, I'm thinking of it in like the broader term is that there were a lot of losses in the past year of like, this is just not working. And I was just kind of like, I'm not making money on art. I'm not making money selling coffee right now. And it's plain and simply because I'm confusing the people who visit my website and I'm confusing the people who even meet me because it's like, I can't tell them that I do have a coffee shop because I don't. I had a moment where I was getting really depressed because I was like, I just have to stop doing one or the other. Like I have to get rid of Ruhakao. I got to get rid of you know, like my art or just, you know, focus on my art and I have to get rid of my music. I was getting, I was going through it. I was in the trenches. Okay. (laughs) And I was like, maybe I should just get a full-time job again. Like I was just life, life was really hitting me. And something inside of me just told me that like, no, no, give it a little bit longer. And that little voice, every single time I'm just like, this shit um it's always like give it a little bit more time it just it needs more nurturing it needs more structure and I said okay let's figure this out and I got a pen and paper out and I just started writing like the components of Ruha Co and I created kind of this this spider web and what it looked like and I started noticing that you know that the art portion of it was basically a business within itself. And then I was looking at the music portion of like how I wanted it to approach it. And that looked like a business within itself. And I'm like, oh, this is getting crazy. It's getting wild. Um, So I look at those two things and then I was like, okay, but what are the other things I also want to do? And one of the things that I've always wanted to do is start like a food blog or a coffee blog where I just go around and travel the world and try different coffees. Like that's still to this day, one of my passions. And I was like, okay, that's a business within itself. And then I saw Bruja Co kind of also in the process of becoming a bigger and more global company as well. And I was like, that needs to be by itself for sure. And so I was just like, that decision was kind of like a clean cut that needs to be separate. Then my other businesses, I was like, I wonder if there's a way to just kind of like marry all of them together. So I don't have to think of more than two businesses because this is already really overwhelming. And I made like a, an Instagram profile that that was supposed to be my personal profile it's called Us Browns of the Human. And I just thought it was so clever. I was like, no, that's going to be the title of my, my other business because it's all about me. And it's all about those things that I like. Because ultimately, like the decision I started, the reason I started um, separating was not only because of sales, but also because I was losing myself 
in Bruja Ko's identity. Bruja Ko's identity was so strong that I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I'm like, I created the dang thing. Why is this happening? <laughs> and so I was realizing that my art was being influenced by the business. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, I was like, okay, bring it back, bring it back. And we had a little breakup, you know, like we separated and it immediately, everything just started making sense. Everything just started flowing better. Everything started moving again. And I realized that that pivot needed to happen. Yeah, that is all so powerful. And I think that speaks to what a lot of us have felt over the past year around something that something isn't working, the way that we've been doing something hasn't been working. What difficult but important decision do I have to make to reclaim my identity from this thing that's kind of getting muddied by it all? And I love hearing that you heard it in yourself, that you would give this answer about what your business is supposed to be. And you're like, I don't like that. Like, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) Like, I, I don't feel good about this answer. And also I can literally see in the analytics that y'all don't like it either. So how do we fix this? Right, exactly. It was just like, it was such a bizarre thing because I even remember the one customer that came up to me and asked me it and I remember their face and I'm sure, I hope that I see them later on because I'm gonna be like, you're you, it was you. <laughs> I answered you. Cause you know, they were asking me so many questions. I was like, stop like you're like the little voice in my head that was existing there but now in the physical yeah I I feel like we're all occasionally hit with that kind of mirror person where they come up to you and they feel kind of like an NPC in a video game for a hot second like go away I'm on a quest (laughs) but in reality they know they don't understand something and they're hoping that you have the answer. And then you're like, oh shit, I really, I should know how to answer this, but there's no good way for me to do it. Right, exactly. And it was all a process. I mean, like, even though my my explanation was lengthy, it was still like, it was even longer than that because it was a year long of me, like having to figure out based on losing a lot of money. That was the main thing. I calculated because at some point I had to face like, the, the numbers and I was like it it had been time I was scared of looking at them because I was like I'm gonna be embarrassed <laughs> and when I looked at them I was like I cannot take another hit like that that was that was a lot that was a lot yeah and I mean granted it's not all like doom and gloom there were things that were so valuable that I learned in the process I learned how to like be an effective like fundraiser and like be an effective communicator. I learned like a lot of very strong skills because of all the failures that happen and all like the loss of money or whatever. I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, there was value to be learned in that process of having to be in the trenches. Like as a business owner, you always have to figure it out. I guess I'm curious to hear, cause I know it's still fairly fresh And I know that you feel at least energetically better about the decision to make these splits after realizing that you're putting so much on this one thing to be so many things. And that's just, it's buckling under that pressure. How, aside from feeling better, how how have you felt about that kind of evolution? Do you feel like people are responding to it better as well? Does it feel like things are just kind of flowing more easily when it comes to marketing? I think in in terms of responses i'm not really sure because it's a little too early but i can tell even by the few that um that it makes more sense the people who have known me since like esperanza art music are the people that are i think having a harder time than like new clientele which is an interesting place to be because it's like i just completely changed it up on them and i tried my best to kind of like you know, gently lead people. Like if you were in it for the art, come to this business. Like if you were in it for the coffee, come to this business. If you were in it for this and, you know, and so it's been like a little bit like more difficult for my long-term, like my long-time um, clients and fans. Um, Cause they've been with me for almost a decade. Like <laughs> 
change is hard. And so I think for the, the, the older folks, it's the harder change to be like, okay, this is, you're not going to hear about this anymore, like here. Um, but for anybody who is new, it's just, it's a little bizarre for me to, to be honest, because they'll know me as just an artist on one page, but then they'll know me as a coffee roaster on another page. And it's like, they're all me. They are, but it's bizarre to be confronted with some somebody who doesn't even know like hey you have all these these other talents it's hard for me to navigate that change because it's like yeah if i'm bending my art it's i'm an artist like talking about my coffee is kind of irrelevant unless somebody asks and so it's like i'm still trying to figure it out but at least in person communication mostly but um online communication it has been a breeze to be able to just say whatever I want as an artist because I don't have to align myself with having to talk about coffee or like the ethics of coffee all the time and I get to talk about like the life my life what I experience what I create the imagination I have and in my music business that's growing I also have a voice which I was kind of like shocked about um, because it's something that I've always wanted to have. And I knew that voice was always in me because I studied music at like at a university. How I was writing was so vastly different. And I was like, wow, I do know my stuff. Like I felt for such a long time in the confusion that I was like, maybe I don't know anything. And in separating it, I was just like, wow, I am a well of knowledge. Like, I'm just so smart. Like, <laughs> and that's the feeling that I got. And I was just like, wow, I'm just, I was genuinely impressed with myself. Like for the first time, like in my life, like I just felt so genuinely proud and like grateful for all the things that I'm getting teary eyed y'all. <laughs> um, that grateful for the things that I've experienced and grateful for the, like the, just everything that has happened up to this point. I just felt like just an immense amount of pride and in seeing all my voices come out in the way that they needed to come out brought like this sense of authenticity that I was searching for, because it's like, I am a multi-faceted human being. I am not just my artwork. I am not just my music. I am not just a coffee roaster. I love all these things and more. And there is more of me than you can ever imagine. And I think that is true for every person. And so in every single business, I want to highlight that, that we are more than just our profession. Yeah, I I was thinking that as you were talking through it, that it sounds like treating your work as like an ecosystem where Esperanza is like at the top. And then as you kind of go down these lanes, you're able to explore those different aspects of your identity without letting it kind of consume you. Like when it all kind of funnel into one thing, like there's just you and Bruja Co. And that's it. Y'all are one. <laughs> And that that's so hard. She was winning. Yeah. She was winning the battle because I was losing like who I was. And I'm like, is this even who I am anymore? Oh, me and her fought. Yeah. Because when th this is something that I'm hearing a little bit more of, like not too much, but at least one other person I've met has done a similar thing where they realize that they're losing themselves in the business. So they still have that one core as like at the top. They're the ones that are kind of the puppeteer. And then there's another sub business within it, which is them exploring what they've been really excited about doing for some time. But they're very, very clear and honest. Like I am not this business. I am showing up as so-and-so of blank. But when I'm not clocked in, I'm off vibing, washing stuff with my cat. <laughs> like right. I have other interests and... You know, it's, I know that you have a lot of boundaries that you put up around your art and so forth, but when 
you are the brand. And if you're not careful about being very clear about what it means to show up authentically, you, you run the risk of performing your identity as that brand. Mm -hmm. And are we performing ourselves online to a certain degree? Like, yeah, maybe a little bit, but it shouldn't feel artificial or like exhausting at the end. Yeah. That's how you know you're going too far. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, like, that's the thing where I was finding myself on YouTube. I was watching myself. I'm like, that's not me. And I mean, people can sense that. Like, people are like, "Mm, something's not, you know, something's not, not real. And I just noticed that even like watching myself, I'm like, that is a completely different person than who I am. So in like separating, I started digging into like who I am on online and stuff because I'm like, why do I got to (laughs) perform? Like I get it there to some degree. Yes. Before sales and stuff. But I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, "Mm, no, even in person when I'm selling, I, I make this as a joke, but it's not a joke. And I think that could summarize a huge part of my humor of where, you know, somebody will be looking at it. And I'm like, and I'll just tell them like, you should buy it. Like instead, instead of putting all this fluffy, like, you know, like techniques on how to get somebody to like manipulate somebody into buying something. I'm just like, you should buy it. You should treat yourself. <laughs> like I try to even like, I was even going through it where I was thinking about like, when I was writing these processes of how I sell and how I like do um, just business in general, it's like all of it has been honest. And the moment that it started being like a little bit dishonest to my identity, that's when I was like, we need to reassess what we're doing. Um, You can read all the tips and tricks in the world and it still won't work if you're not being aligned with your own self. Yeah. I, I remember bringing you empanadas at an art event. And I remember you saying that to somebody when you were behind behind the booth when I approached. You're like, you should just buy it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so bold. I love it. And then it actually worked. And I'm like, <laughs> versus like a lot of us um, have like a witch wound and a lot of us find that it's around money and around selling. You know, I, I know that's one that I still have to kind of wrap my mind around. Like I'm so good at helping other people write their marketing, but I begin to freeze when I have to market myself because I think I'm a, I am afraid of money in many ways. But you just went and did it. And I'm like, damn, back when I was vending, if people were like humming and hawing or like, oh, is that free? I... I feel like I would begin to buckle under the pressure. <laughs> I'd never be so like meek as to be like, yeah, you could punch me if you want. But I feel like at a certain point, like that's how I got broken down and I just couldn't do it anymore. But I feel like you are, you have this like, not even like resilience, but like there's a drive about you that I've always really respected because a lot of people have told you to like slow down or to like choose something. And I am really excited by this intentional split because you're saying, yeah, something needed to change, but I needed to change this way and not in the way that you were telling me to. I feel like capitalism is about hoarding, but about being capitalism critical and really like about the community is about being more abundant. And I feel like you have such an abundant mindset around like, I can do these things. Just like, yeah, you're right. I wasn't doing it the right way, but fuck you. I'm going to do it this way. And you're going to see how well it works. (laughs) I love that. Yes. That's a good description of like my entire like way of looking at business. I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Like even when I meet with my business coaches, I, I sometimes laugh at myself, but I'm like, I probably irritated the shit out of them. Like, because I always have something to say. Like always, I'm like, but did you think about it this way? Did you think about how this is and this will happen? I feel like, you know, nobody tells Shonda that she's doing the most. So why, why limit yourself? Absolutely. I mean, like, even if you look at like any big corporation like Target, they have several brands under themselves that are completely unrelated to being the retail shop that they are. 
like the vortex that they are. <laughs> like it's it it happens everywhere. And I think like the one thing that small businesses don't see is that even though it looks like these big businesses are doing different things or like they're doing all the same thing and it just makes sense. It's, it's no, it's like they have created an ecosystem for themselves where they're paying their own other business that they have to do whatever X, Y, and Z. And then somehow like you just continuously keep funding yourself, like cycling through the money um, cause even looking at like how Bruja Co is going to happen at some point, like it's, I'm, I might host a, co- a, like a paint and sip of coffee here and Bruja Co is going to charge me a certain amount, but they can also pay me to come in and do something. Right. And it was actually something that I had to consult with, like, again, like I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of these businesses based on not only like my experience, but like kind of mishmashing like the the advice that I've been given by accountants and like other like business coaches um, that I've gotten. Absolutely. And uh, one last question here before we wrap up. Um, something that I love to hear from from folks on, especially like artists of color, people that get their work projected onto a lot. Um, because of other people's expectations. Um, what's something that you always want people to ask you about you, your work, your pursuits that maybe they just seem to glaze over, you never really seem to get to? I mean, I think asking me about me, um, oftentimes I get asked about my products. Um, and, you know, that's all fine and dandy if you want to know what it is. But it's like, I think, the most meaningful conversations that I have is when I am not only just sharing my story, but the other person is also sharing their story and why they connect to the work. So no particular question, but more so of like having a conversation with me and not the product (laughs) is always nice. Um, I will somehow like lead us into that and you will get like sucked into being it by my table for like an hour but like you know it I think my favorite thing when what people do is like when they ask me about me I I really can appreciate that just in terms of so much of your art your work seems to be about you in a way that they're like oh well if she paints about herself or if I see her reflected in this then that's it but I think we often overlook kind of the human that is making all of it happen. And, you know, it sounds like there's also an opportunity, like a missed opportunity in your mind for connection that like by just seeing the product, they're also missing that you're still a person and you're the one that's making it all happen. So like, can we not bypass the human moment for a hot second? All right doesn't have to be anything complicated you could just ask me what my favorite type of coffee is and I will talk about it for 10 minutes right Right. which is something I think is a differentiating thing between people who are consumers only and people who are also artists because I feel like whenever you're working on something and we start talking about it we I think we always plan on only hanging out for a few hours and then the whole day went by (laughs) just because I'm I'm notorious for that. Yeah, right. (laughs) And it's like, it doesn't feel like work or like, damn, I was with another human for eight hours. How did that happen? But there's a lot of, um, I tend to approach work with a lot of curiosity because there's a lot that comes up for me in my work. So I'm just naturally interested. So I, yeah, I feel like, we overlook someone with multiple pursuits and think like, oh, I'm just going to talk to them about this one thing. And it's like, there's clearly a multifaceted human here that loves a lot. So if you just asked about it, you might find that this is a really great conversation that you're missing out on. Right. Exactly. 
Well, with that, this was a really great conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on um, on the podcast today, Esperanza. Before we part ways here, please feel free to share how folks can find you, what all you have going on right now, anything you'd like to impart on to us before we, before we part ways. Yeah, so you can find me at Brujaco, B-R-E-W-J-A dot C-O, or you can find me at EsperanzaTheHuman.com. And those are the two main ones. And if you wanted something specific, you'll find them through either channel. I will also go ahead and link those in the show notes for those that just want a cute little link instead, because I know that I always struggle to follow up otherwise. But yeah, thank you so much, Esperanza, for your time, your energy, sharing that journey. I really look forward to hearing more about how this process has developed for you. You know, I feel like we could easily spend another hour, like a year from now, unpacking like what came of the decisions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, we should follow up in a year because I there's a lot in store. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe like let's just plan on that, is circling back to see yeah. how it shook out. Yeah, like, are you still the thing that you said you were? No. Yeah, and, and that's okay. You know, I, I think part of growth and especially like growth through such hard things as what you've experienced is, is being able to be okay with naming when something isn't working because a lot of us like white knuckle through it all. So, you know, thank you so much for, mm-hmm. for sharing everything that you did because I think a lot of people need to hear that you are allowed to pull back the curtain on that thing you don't want to think about and, and start making some tough choices for yourself and your business. That's all for today's episode, everyone. If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts and you enjoyed today's content, thank you so much. It would mean so much to me if you left a five-star review, a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the podcast and helps other people find my work. And if you're listening in other platforms like Spotify, please still give us a five-star rating. It really helps us be found by other people. And if you found today's content inspiring, please do share with even one person that you think would benefit from today's topics on The Violet Vulture. Again, you can keep up with me on Instagram at LastAwayEmmy, my website is SwayEmmy.com. You can keep up on my newsletter. And as referenced in the episode, if you're interested in keeping up with Esperanza's work, I have included those in the show notes as well. That's all for today, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Violet Vulture. Bye for now.